My name is Will Fitzgerald and this is the Galway Film Podcast. Before we get started, a big thank you to our listeners who've been tuning in and to those who've written in or tweeted with questions and with feedback. Last week was our first panel episode and I was curious to see how that would go down, especially given the longer running time. But it seems like you guys enjoyed it and you'll be glad to know we have more of those in the mix. As always, if you have feedback, you can email us at info at or you can reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you prefer. It is only two and a half weeks to Halloween, possibly my favourite holiday, and horror is possibly my favourite film genre. It's a good time to be a horror fan. Horror is kind of enjoying a moment right now. Get Out won the Oscar for Best Screenplay last year. You've got companies like A24 that are blurring the line between horror and art house with films like Hereditary and It Comes at Night. And companies like Blumhouse who are pushing out big slates of micro-budget horrors. So for the rest of this month, I'll be talking to directors who have all brought out new, independent horror films this year. Today, I'm talking to Mike Tully, whose latest film, Don't Leave Home, was described as Get Out with Catholic guilt in the Irish countryside when it premiered at South by Southwest earlier this year. This is not Mike's first time at Galway. He was here before with his previous feature, Ping Pong Summer, and it was a pleasure to sit down and talk with him again. All right, we're joined today by Michael Tully, or just Mike Tully? Mike Either Tully one. Mike? Yeah. <laughs> and also <laughs> in the film world, Tully is because just defaulting to Tully is a thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Tully then, uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, happy to be here, really happy. And uh, congrats on your new feature. Thank uh, you. We just uh, premiered it last night, um, one of the most fun Q&As that we've had. <laughs> oh, good, <laughs> it was yeah. just fun. Um, Helena Breen, uh, that are all out on stage. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that was all. That was She's good. so good. Yeah. Um, so maybe tell us a bit about, uh, you know, the, the genesis for the new feature. It's quite a, well, it's not quite a departure. It's, it's an interesting body of work because you had like a kind of mystery comedy drama and then we had a comedy drama and now we have this horror. Well, are, would you describe it as horror? Yeah, that's the thing. It's, I make these movies that I say, like um, a distributor friend described it. I was like, this should be on my epitaph if it's not art house enough for the art house and it's not mainstream <laughs> enough for the multiplex. So I'm just like riding that crack in the middle. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love all kinds of movies. So I just feel like I want to work in, I don't, I wouldn't call this horror. I say it's kind of creepy. I use terms that are, it's more atmospheric or psychological, but even to say thriller, because it's sort of, um, delicate the movie mm-hmm. it's not really in your face and I didn't want to make a movie like that I think enough people are doing that so it's a tricky one it makes it harder for marketing and distribution because Festival you're trying to play <laughs> yeah you're trying to like have a sense of humor but be very serious do all these things at once yeah um, but I think that's one thing maybe that would connect the thread of uh, the movies that I've made is I want to work in every genre but still have a sense of even if it's dark, there's a little bit of hope or something, a little bit of light and some humor. Um, but that's the thing is some people are just going to watch like Septian the two, two movies ago and be looking at the person next to them like, why are they laughing right now? And uh, <laughs> it's just kind of, I like that, you know, it's like a, David Lynch is a hero of mine and I feel like his movies one minute you're, you know, scared to death and the next minute you're laughing and you're like, this is the cheesiest thing I've ever seen. Um, and I just yeah. love that idea of putting it all together in one movie. It's cool. Did you uh, watch the new Twin Peaks? Oh man, I did. You know, we wrapped um, last, last May 
um, and flew, I flew back to Ireland, uh, from Ireland back to Austin where I live and we were, had a week of prep and shot two days in America and Twin Peaks premiered the Sunday that I got back, mm-hmm. but I waited until we wrapped the movie. So that following Sunday was basically the second episode and I watched the first and second episode and then kept up with it. Um, wow. yeah, I think it's actually, um, I was shocked at how great I thought it was. I was a little cautious about like getting the gang back together, but of course he's working on another plane and, um, yeah, a filmmaker friend watched a cut of don't leave home. And he was like, I can't believe there was one moment in it that he thought was really a tw- like a twin peaks reference, but we hadn't seen it mm-hmm. before we shot it. So there was something maybe symbiotic in there. That's cool. Did yeah. you watch it? I did. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, um, episode eight, the, Oh, hour of, I was just like, I can't believe this is on television right yeah, now. Yeah, that's the weird thing. It was, I, it frustrated me also very much yeah. at times. Um, Dougie, you know, the, the, the time. Vegas Dougie, I was kind of like, where are we going with this? Yeah. Like, and I, I was actually very frustrated in a way that I'm usually not. Yeah. Yeah, but it was. Uh, it did seem like he was being deliberately frustrating, particularly with the way he looked, like plays with uh, time. Um, but then it does make you think about television as a format more than possibly any other tv show has yeah and i also think he's doing he's not a reference guy but there's definitely some of that office stuff where i'm like this is jabbing at mad men and breaking bad like being in (laughs) where they are in new mexico and the office stuff i was like it's almost it plays like a drugged out parody like a slowed down parody of television you know so i think he's definitely working on a higher plane Sure. Um, I could talk about. We could do a David Lynch podcast. We, we could. We should. <laughs> I'm reading you come back with the next right, feature. And I'm then... reading his bio right now, and I'm uh, absolutely in love with it. But um, but yeah. So for Don't Leave Home, why we're here. Um, I my dad is was born in Portumna, County Galway, born and raised. He's one of thirteen. So I have wow. I have forty something first cousins on just one side um, of the family. Many of whom were there last night. We had a big uh, reunion photo in the lobby. Um, That's cool. But I after we finished Ping Pong Summer, the producer. Or George Rush was like he also has ties to Ireland. He was like, "Well, would it, I think we could maybe raise some money? People had a good time and a pleasant experience. Let's make another movie." Um, and he said, "So I gave him a list of stuff, and one of which was just Don't Leave Home, a creepy movie in Ireland." And I didn't know what it was about, but I just thought <laughs> there's a canon of don't movies, and it was like, "Why on the IMDb is there not a movie called Don't Leave Home?" Um, and that was the initial pitch, and we raised some development money, and took me quite a long time. It wasn't until I think the 15th draft that we had the vanishing painting angle came into play even. I was just kind of writing. Um, I would never, I hope I never have to write that way again. Usually the idea, you know, from the inside out it comes. Mm-hmm. But once we had the hook of the haunted painting and the vanishing, then the movie's theme sort of really started to fall into place. Cool. But it took a long time. Like the first visit to Scout was 2013, actually. I oh, think wow. we were over here. Um, and so even we... before you were here at the festival. Yeah. yeah. And then when we went the next year, when we came for the fly for Ping Pong Summer, we did some more scouting. Then we connected it to a trip to, to Paris also to, to try to raise um, the profile for the film. So yeah, we've been at it for a long time and to the point where the budget kept shrinking and then it got to the point where it was untenable and George called our producers in Dublin based Sabatica, Tristan and Aoife there. And he basically was the breakup call to be like, we're, we, we can't do this. It's, it's falling apart. And Tristan was the one who sort of took the shovel and the dirt away from George. And he said, well, how much can you raise? And George said the amount. And he was like, all right, I think maybe we can do this. Wow. So it was, the foot was in the grave. And I, I basically was like, I'm done. It's not going to happen. It's never happening. And 
typically in life, whenever I fully give up, that's when the world's like, all right, shut up. You can, you get it. <laughs> so that, yeah, it was, it started as a, the title in a creepy movie in Ireland and yeah, here we are. That's cool. Cause I was wondering what about it made it like a uniquely Irish story for you, but I guess, so it started with the location. Yeah. The, I mean the title, the location just that, cause I mean a lot of the British horror, the late, and even saying don't look now as a psychological, I wouldn't call that a horror movie either. Mm -hmm. Um, but in working in that world, um, there was a point where we said, what if we, um, what, what if we just did it in Texas where I live, like with this haunted painting and you're like, yeah, that could apply anywhere, but it was somehow even the producers and everyone was like, I don't know. It just feels, it's a little bit tied to the Catholicism, um, yeah. of Ireland. Um, and yeah, so it just felt like, yeah, that, that the hook of the movie you maybe could do anywhere, but it still yeah. felt too tied to Ireland for some reason. So I'm glad we were able to stick to our guns. Me too. Um, yeah. So you actually, you touched on there how you said mostly your scripts tend to come from the inside out. Um, so you normally develop in a different way. What is your, because like you make your own scripts. So what's your, uh, what's your writing process like? It's changing. I'm teaching actually in Austin. I'm teaching a screenwriting class this fall and I've never done that before. And I'm like, oh, I, I'll probably, I hope I learn as much as the kids. Um, <laughs> but it's tricky because I, I always feel like if it's come and even like finding my wife and love or whatever, it's like from the outside, like if you, I always equate it to like when I was younger and I'd like go out to a party and I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to hook up tonight. It was like, no, I was, that was like the death knell, you know, it's like, don't even leave the house. Don't leave home um, because you're not going to hook up tonight. And when you're not looking for it, then it comes to you. And I think there's something to the creativity of that. So this summer I've been kind of sitting down and writing in a way that I, in my twenties, I used to just wake up and write and write. I don't do that anymore. I yeah. feel like there's, it's gotta be a mix of hard work, but also I feel like there's gotta be a kernel of inspiration and just in the world we're in now, as I'm getting older, I want to maybe make stuff that sort of connects to the world in a sort and America right now is a little, um, <laughs> there are some issues in America right now. Some issues. So uh, I'm trying to do, like find an idea that can speak to that, but also be a work of cinema and entertainment. I feel like trying to fuse the two because anytime I try to get preachy, there are lines even in Don't Leave Home that we cut out, that we shot, that were just like felt too heavy handed. And I feel like let the audience connect those dots. It's just mm -hmm. anytime I try to get preachy, it feels really, really pretentious and obnoxious. Sure. Um, so you think maybe a future project would be sort of like an inverse of Don't Leave Home where like Don't Leave Home touches on sort of like, you know, early horror themes of like everything bad comes from Europe. Like don't, you know, don't leave America. But now we're kind of saying, well, maybe America should be looking like further afield. Yeah. The more that on. I've been reading lately, I'm like, oh, yeah, I say, you know, how, yeah. The Native American genocide, slavery, there's things that are like, yeah, how could you make a work of entertainment about these subjects without making people who are typically the more defensive, stubborn types who are like, I don't know, you know, I don't say anything bad about my family. Don't say anything bad about my country. Um, I'm trying to find a way into that now. And that's something that's preoccupying me. And I don't have the image or the idea at the moment. Yeah. So again, going, let's go back to writing because I'm always fascinated. Like I'm a big script guy, so I like to hear about uh, how people um, get these things done. Do you set yourself a limit for a day, or how do you like? Do you try to hit like a word count? This this summer, it's funny. There's a, a, a fiction writer, um, Jamie Attenberg, who was actually over here for a book uh, book reading when we were shooting, but I was too busy. Um, she lives in New Orleans now, but I met her in New York, and she did this thing just uh, in July called. Um, was it a thousand word thousand words of summer or something and she basically said from july 15th to july 29th 
you're going to write a thousand words a day. Wow. I don't care what it, it could be a letter to your mom. It could be a diary entry. It could be a novel. It can be whatever. And I hadn't done that in years. And I actually, I got to day 13 and then I went away with my wife for a little birthday getaway and it totally derailed. But, uh, but I was sitting down and it was a prose idea. Um, and that was really interesting to me because every day she would send out an email and she'd have like well-known writers doing their own. It's hard. You just have to sit there. Like if you're not sitting there, even if you don't feel inspired, it's not going to happen if you don't sit down and write. Um, and right. it was it's so I feel like I'm at the very moment that we're speaking, having a different sense of maybe it is I should sit down and clock in and do that. And typically in the past, I, I haven't lately the past 10 or 20 years have just been more about I have the idea or here's an opportunity, then I'll dive in and do the work and write in a burst. Usually I'd write in a burst and then start to break down by outlining and, you know, getting the note cards and stuff like that. Yeah. Usually I do that after the I get the like spit it out on the page and then start to break it down yeah because again if i'm thinking too outside in and connecting the dots then i'm like where's the actual story the pieces within it yeah um so going back to even um like before septian um how like how did you uh get started did you go to film school you just kind of pick up a camera how did it go yeah i wanted to i started in college in the 90s back in the 20th century (laughs) i don't know if anyone's heard of that but uh i i wanted to be a writer writer so it was like kind of i went to college for a year in florida i'm from maryland and then i and then i had an epiphany with cinema being like oh this incorporates visual music and writing literature it's all of it you know and it's Mm -hmm. communal and you can like hole up and be stressed out editing and writing but then you get to make a movie and then you're sick of people so you can go away and edit (laughs) it um so it just is a really kind of like one-stop shop for all creativity i think um and then i went to school in baltimore it was it wasn't really a film school but it was a visual arts program shooting on film um and then i moved to new york and just insecure a friend of mine david gordon green do you you know so i worked on his very first movie, George Washington. So I met him in like 1999 in New York had mutual friends. And he's like, I'm making a movie called George Washington next summer. And I was like, I'm making a movie called ping pong summer next summer. This is in 1999 <laughs> or whatever. So it was like cut to next summer. I was in Wil- uh, North Carolina, Winston Salem working on George Washington cut to when did ping pong summer show at the fly 2014 so about 15 yeah, years yeah. later. So David's trajectory was a little bit like I'm doing this. I'm not going to second guess. And I just had this insecurity and all, you know, like, I don't know, just overthought things. And when I hit 30, I'd been kind of temping in New York, working at law firms, writing, on, writing a lot, but, but like just kind of paying the bills, living my life. And it hit me when I was 30 and I was just like, I, this isn't going to happen if I don't do it. And that also coincided with the digital revolution in a way when the 24P cameras came out where Mm -hmm. digital started looking like cinema. So you could actually, I bought the Panasonic DVX camera and I was like, actually, I wouldn't feel insecure shooting a movie on this camera versus like this, the old Sony's, the high eight video. I'd be like, something about this feels like a home movie. So that was actually very fortuitous. And in 2006, I partnered with a friend and it, it, he had written the script and I had him act in it at this movie, Cocaine Angel. And if it wasn't sort of like for both of us being lifting each other up, I don't know if it would have happened. It was just insecurity and doubt. And then finally I got sick of myself and was like, I don't care if no one watches this, you know, like the process is the victory. Yeah. But it took a long time. It wasn't until 30. So it's like, but everyone's got their own trajectory. Whereas like David was like 23 and just like singing, heading Doing straight it. for the straight yeah. for the top. 
Um, maybe talk about, uh, so that's interesting that, you know, you, uh, had that experience of like living in New York and being insecure and like, you still, like starting to hate yourself and that being like a motivator. Cause that feels very New York-y versus <laughs> you're, you're living now in Austin. Um, I mean, the outsider perspective of that is it's like, sh like shiny, happy film camper, <laughs> like, you know, the alternative, uh, city to live in if you want to work in film in the U S. Um, how do you compare the two? Uh, experiences living there I, you know I'll say honestly New York I didn't get a competitive vibe so like the you know I was friend, I'm living in Brooklyn and there was a real there's a community of filmmakers there I actually never got the like New York cutthroat thing I think it happens but um it was very friendly so like going to BAM Cinema Fest in the summer mm. at BAM um, and just being friendly with people so I never got a sense of like oh it's way more cutthroat in New York um, LA just seems like every, you know you get in your lift and it's like what is your script about you know it's like everybody's <laughs> talking about it in New York you can go to a dinner party and be like oh you're a lawyer for the ACLU and like just have these cool conversations Austin is similar to that I feel like Austin has just kind of become an extension of Brooklyn um, so it's like, you, yeah, it has a kind of bohemian feel, but it, the city is rising. It's like the, I guess, 11th largest city in, in America now. And, but it, it's got the infrastructure of a small town, but it's growing at a pace that's a little alarming. But, um, but the cinema is great. The reason I moved there, my wife got hired by the Austin Film Society and Richard Linklater founded that. He was like one of my heroes, um, a real model when I was in film school to see him go from like slacker to dazed and confused to before sunrise. I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And now I'm sort of friendly with him in a way and see him. He's, you know, works very uh, directly with my wife. He still is the artistic director of the Film Society. Um, but but people there are really communal and great. So it's it's not like pitting Brooklyn against Austin, yeah, yeah. but it is a sense of like the Austin. There isn't really a voice. The one thing I'll say is all the filmmakers or like the Zellner brothers are doing their own thing. Um, Andrew Bujalski lives in my neighborhood and Jeff Nichols is, well, Jeff is now kind of a bigger, bigger Hollywood director, um, but everyone's doing their own thing. So I think that helps their not be the sense of competition because right. it's like everyone's got their own unique voice and they're doing their thing and um, people are really incredibly helpful. Um, it is definitely the, the only thing is if you're trying, I met someone last night who said he's moving to Austin, a, an Irish filmmaker, and um, there isn't in the way that New York or LA, you could pick up like an editing job or, you know, that sense of like, oh, right. the reality show, I don't want to be doing this, but it's paying the bills and it's in the art sort of. Um, that's getting a little bit harder because the tax rebate, the tax incentive and the sort of the, the government in Texas isn't really funding that in a way that we were hoping. Right. So, um, so you have to have, you have to supplement somehow. But now that I'm teaching film um, and I kind of found my way into it, I'm hoping to keep doing that because it's definitely better than like temping at a law firm when I have no interest in being a lawyer. Right. <laughs> I was like, what am I doing here where I'm like teaching, the, you know, teaching in quotes, these kids and talking about movies and getting them excited. Um, I liked it. Yeah, I did a last semester and it was really fun. Yeah, that seems like a nice day job. <laughs> mm. It doesn't, you know, it's like, again, it's supplemental because you're, it's yeah. not like going to pay, pay the bills. But while you're trying to get another project going, it's certainly a better way to do it, to pay the bills than doing something else. Cool. Um, so you've mentioned uh, now both David Lynch and Richard Linklater. Are there any other like cinematic heroes of yours that you kind of uh, whose work inspires you? I would actually say, well, like right now, living, I love Claire Denis. She's one of my favorite directors. Mm. Um, and I just love her voice and the fact that she jumps around in genre. But I would say my model really ultimately might be 
Robert Altman from in the 70s, basically from MASH to a wedding. Um, that run, I think to me, is a, like a, a high model because he would go from McCabe and Mrs. Miller, a Western, to California Split, a buddy comedy, and he just kind of in Nashville, he would jump around. And that's, yeah. I think, a really... And then Three Images was... This is kind of Don't Leave Home is my three images in that ca canon of Altman because he made he made a movie in Ireland in the I guess it was 70 early 70s um, and it was in that kind of dream logic art horror realm but uh, that would probably be the model I'd default to but there are so many directors that I love um, now and you know I'm a big I watched I think like 300 ish movies last year even when we had made two months were made watching um or making don't leave home and i don't watch during the shooting of a movie right um but yeah i'm just always watching stuff like the film society and uh, alamo draft house in austin has a really good retrospective scene going on very cool so i love movies yeah you mentioned kind of as well when you were in Brooklyn, were you part of the Brooklyn filmmakers collective or did you no i knew a few people i didn't really I feel like I was there for like a rough cut screening or something. I didn't really join anything in that regard, but it was more, it would be just be out communally, but I didn't do any of the collectives or anything like that really. Yeah. It wasn't any like conscious choice not to, I just didn't do it. Yeah. I guess what it was getting at is like, it seems like a uh, community or sort of a communal, you know, filmmaking process or collaboration seems like uh, a, a big touchstone for you. Like you think that's a, a healthy way to do it? Yeah, I'm big on, it's like, uh, let, I mean, again, Robert Altman, the, the model, he said like 80% 80, 80 of directing is casting. So there is something to be said for finding the right person. I used to think it was like, oh, I have to be the puppet on set. And it's like, no, you build that so that when you get to set, and I'm all for, like, I feel like with Wyatt Garfield, my cinematographer, it's like, hire people who are smarter than you and better at what they do. And then your job is to try to communicate um, I remember being at a Q&A for Punch Drunk Love and it was when Philip Seymour Hoffman was still alive and it was him and Paul Thomas Anderson and um, he was talking about working with the composer John Bryan and he's like, I don't, I'm not a musician, but he'd be like, I want it to be more like stomachy, you know, <laughs> and then John Bryan would play like a minor chord or something and he's like, yeah, 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 that's it. So being able to communicate... Um, and that's the fun of it. And I think, again, letting people, having an idea, giving them something, and then letting them run with it. And I think people will be more invested. Like Helena last night after the screening just was talking about she couldn't believe how many of the crew came to the screening mm -hmm. last night. And it was really great to see them. And I think we built that. It was important for me because that's kind of all you have to go on. Ultimately, when the movie's done, it's like where it goes you can't really control so it's like if we're going to be here and it's going to be stressful and we're rushing let's at least try to have fun doing it and respect each other and yeah. i think people will invest more in the project if they feel like they're not being talked down to yeah yeah sure. th that's what filmmaking sh for me that's like the point of filmmaking is like why would you if not then like be a painter or like make stop motion in your garage and ha don't talk to anyone <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, on that note, uh, Mike Kelly, thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure to be here. That's our show for today. If you have any short follow-up questions for Mike, he is on Twitter at Tolstoy. We are at Galway Film. The Galway Film podcast is produced by Grease On Demand Skillnet Training. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on iTunes. While you're there, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. I'll be back next week chatting to director Ashlyn Clark about her Magdalene Laundry horror, The Devil's Doorway. Until then, I'm Will Fitzgerald, Slongafall. So